Hello everyone and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I am a mom of two, a teacher, blogger, freelance writer, TV guest, and podcast host. And you are listening to episode 58 of the show. We are going to switch up the order this week for the very first time and actually begin with our special guest. And this week I'm talking to Jennifer Singh, who is a former TV reporter and now CEO of her own company. She's Newsworthy Media. She works as a PR strategist and media coach and has uh, tons of great advice to share with us today. And she's a mom of two as well. So she will be here in a moment. And then following that interview, we are going to do the lifestyle segment. I have some personal news to share. And you're going to want to uh, stick around for that so that you can be informed too. Let's dive right into the guest interview. I'm very excited to introduce my guest this week, Jennifer Singh. Jennifer is a former TV reporter turned CEO of She's Newsworthy Media, working as a PR strategist and media coach. And she is also a mom of two. So excited to have you here today, Jen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's talk about that big pivot. So as I mentioned, you used to be a TV reporter. Now you've got your own business going on. You're CEO. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us a bit about that pivot and how it came about? I think, uh, you know, I I worked in corporate for so many years and and corporate really is when you're working in a newsroom, you're working for a private organization. And I um, was struggling to have kids actually uh, between 2010 and 2013. I got pregnant and then a couple weeks later found out that I was getting laid off. And uh, most people would have panicked. I didn't panic. I was actually really thrilled because I knew that I kind of outgrew the corporate uh, life and the hours. And I knew that because we were trying for so long, I had this vision that I was going to be that mom that stayed at home and somehow managed to work and watch kids at the same time. Uh, I pivoted into my PR company now. She's Newsworthy Media, as you mentioned. And it has been a journey. It has been a tough journey. And I think it's funny because a lot of people have been struggling with the pandemic, but I feel like this has been my reality, trying to balance the kids as well as balance the business. So we are in a great spot right now. My husband is now designated stay-at-home dad until the pandemic is over. And I'm just focusing on growing the business. And I know you offer a whole lot of different things um, through, through your business. I'd like to talk a little bit about your media success coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it works? Yeah, so PR is a mystery to a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs or even those who work in corporate. And I really uh, honed in on the fact that when I was a reporter in the field, getting that perfect expert was sometimes a challenge. And I noticed the trend happening. It was mostly men that were being um, interviewed, right? So those were the go-to people. There wasn't a lot of women as experts. And we see this as well across the board when it comes to literature. We know that mostly uh, fiction writing is done by, by women and mostly thought leadership writing for the most part is done by men. So it was kind of like a correlation. So when I developed media success coaching, it was a combination of really trying to hone in on empowering women to be able to eventually do their own PR. But I totally get that you need help navigating. You need help with your strategy. You need help 
figuring out why you're newsworthy. You need help editing your pitches. The pitches are the key things and the hardest things to do. And for women, especially showing up on camera, we know how important that is now, especially now with the pandemic and everything's in the virtual space, but that coaching so that you can be your best self, you can be authentic and not be insecure about how you show up. So media success coaching has been really successful. I get to work with really amazing women entrepreneurs and the program is really just flourishing. And what kind of impact has COVID-19 had on your business overall? I would say it was a major struggle in the beginning because we have two kids, two and five, and they are very high energy. And the thought of having them home was... (laughs) crippling, crippling as as many parents are experiencing that. And we did make the tough decision because we are in a hot spot in Canada to pull them out of school, both of them, and we haven't sent them back. So it's been a bit of a juggle. My husband also got laid off. So that meant that I am now the breadwinner and it shifted things. I would definitely say there was a lot of uncertainty and panic in March, April. And then I just kind of had a quiet moment. And I said, okay, if I'm going to get through this, then I got to get my head on and I really need to sit down and focus. So what's, what's happening in our home works for us. We are not, uh, people, you know, I don't really share this a lot of the situation because people feel sympathy, but it works for us and it's really good. Like we are happy, we're healthy, we're safe. And I'm excited because obviously I get to focus on my business. And obviously the working from home challenge is, is so different with little ones at home and, you know, if they could be at school and all mm-hmm. of that. But generally speaking, having a business that runs from home, are, are you enjoying that? Do you ever wish that, you know, I was just going off to the office today as opposed to, as mm. opposed to working from home? Is it kind of hard, the boundaries and that sort of thing? How do you navigate it? So I'm really, really focused with my time, but definitely when the kids were both in school, my husband was at work and I was here at home by myself, it was lonely. And the thing that broke that up was, uh, you know, going out to speaking events and being able to network. And we now know we can't do that. We can't do that in person. So that has been something that's been taken away. But of course, that's now all in the virtual space. At the same time, It is very much a challenge to be in a room in the house where the kids have access to you. So if I need to, I barricade the door. I have door locks on my doors. Um, And I find that I find that by the end of the day, because the kids know that they can have access to me by five o'clock, they are mom, 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 right? So it's really hard to get a break. Whereas if I was in a traditional job, you would get a cushion. You would get a cushion of time either driving in your car, commuting home, on the train, something. You would get a cushion. So we're working at home to build in a cushion for myself and then also for my husband because, of course, being with kids all day is exhausting. Yes, so true. Um, so some people who are listening might not necessarily be ready to, you know, fully commit to sign up for one of your programs necessarily, but I know that you have such amazing content, I mean, on your site and also you offer a lot of great things through your social media accounts and sometimes little freebies and, and that sort of thing. So I'm curious to know, do you kind of have a strategy for your social media? How does that all work? So, so funny. So I just finished reading uh, The Story Brand, that book. It's a really great business book. And I think everybody should read this, not just if you're an entrepreneur, but... 
I just finished reading that book and I'm starting to implement some of his techniques uh, across my marketing platforms, but it actually really made sense uh, for social media. I'm a storyteller by nature, right? So some of the content that you see pushed out is not really scheduled. It comes from inspiration. It comes from maybe a comment in my DMs. It comes from something that I observe. I have never really had a strategy. I know how crazy that sounds. I think after reading the story brand, I will probably implement a bit more of a structured strategy because as you grow, you don't want to have your whole days and times consumed with social media. I think it's really something that you should only push out when there is something to say. Um, but I don't know. I feel like it's, you know, I'm in my, I'm 40 now. And I was thinking about this morning because I actually took a social media detox on the weekend. I did not go on social media at all. And I thought, how am I going to use social media in my forties in a way that is not all consuming? So in terms of a strategy, the strategy is going to be that. Mm. (laughs) How can I use it? So it's not all consuming, but still works for me and serves and gives great content where I can not just obviously, it's not just to promote myself and my programs, but also to talk about world issues, right? So Black Lives Matters, talking about the US presidential election, talking about Kamala Harris and discrimination as a woman, though, you know, social media has given me that platform where I can actually be my authentic self and, you know, not just grumble about it at home with my husband. Um, it, you know, it has, you know, it has power on social media. And there's a lot of people that are listening. Yes. Yes. You're right about that. Now, do I recall correctly, but correct me if I'm wrong, that did you mention hiring a virtual assistant at some point? (laughs) Yeah. And how was that? (laughs) Oh, wow. So I am, so I did hire a virtual assistant. She's phenomenal. I love her to death. And she, I knew she was going to be temporary, right? Because she was also looking for a full-time job. She's also an author. She's just so brilliant and so smart. And uh, she's going to be leaving me soon. So I'm actually going to be hiring for a full-time VA. She was kind of a part-time VA. So really excited about that. And then also, you know, 2021, what does 2021 look like for me? I'm really thinking ahead on where the business is going to expand and potentially hiring another media coach to help me with my one-on-one clients. Amazing. Now, lots of listeners to this show may not necessarily be entrepreneurs who have their own businesses and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But I think all women, no matter what any of us do, could use a bit of coaching in terms of, you know, speaking up, taking risks, selling ourselves, using our voices. What kind of tips do you have, you know, for women in general about that sort of thing? You know, what's so funny. So when I was in corporate, when I was in a private sector job, even public sector jobs, my confidence level was not there. And I realized when I became an entrepreneur that when I was in corporate, I was really consumed with what other people talked about, um, what we, what, what other people thought about me. Right. So I was really, uh, consumed with status, hierarchy, um, competition and not in a way where I felt like I needed to compete, but I just felt like I was never good enough. So I realized what is really, really hard, and this I'm sure is for most women, is to just block the noise out when you're in corporate. Like block it out. doesn't matter if you're in corporate or an entrepreneur like you mentioned, but really just focusing and honing in on where you want to be and what your goals are. So I have developed a practice of gratitude. I write down my goals every single day. I do visualization. I meditate. But the other thing that I do that I implemented, I just pulled it out 
2019, I got a really beautiful notebook and I started writing down my monthly wins. And my monthly wins wasn't necessarily just connected to life as an entrepreneur. It could be (laughs) finally enrolled my son in daycare because he was home with us until he was three and a half. Mm -hmm. That was a win because I knew it was going to shift my life. And here's the thing. There's going to be moments in your life where you have ups and you have downs. But when you have downs, pull out that book. If you've been tracking your little and your big wins, it kind of gives you a chance to step back and see how far you've come and maybe not in your mind, create a story of how bad the situation is. So I really try to focus on that practice and it, it keeps me focused, but also you want your cheerleaders, your close circle, your friends to be people who are cheering for you. So my circle is really small right now. It is really small. I stay focused and I stay grounded and I'm not afraid of eliminating things that are not going to support the growth that I want as a person and as 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 a mom and as an entrepreneur. So when you mentioned writing down your goals, is that, you know, like each day, like kind of to-do list kind of goals or each day you're reviewing sort of your long-term where you want to be, what you want to accomplish? I know, right? So it's going to be different for everybody. My to-do list lives on Trello. If anybody uses Trello, I just introduced it to my mom and she was like, oh, I wish I had this in corporate years ago. So Trello is kind of like a, like an Asana, one of those organization boards. So I definitely have everything tracked there. But my goals are, you know, I actually like to keep my goals attainable. Like I want, I want to attain my goals. So I usually do uh, quarterly goals. So that could be a financial target. It could be, um, it could be a number of clients that I want to work with. It could be a special project that I want to work with. But I find that if you do it in smaller chunks, it's more attainable versus I want to do or run or be something in five years. You, I think as you start writing your goal out, you can also have your five-year vision. I don't know about you, Kate, but I never had a five-year vision. I just kind of (laughs) knew where I want, like, I feel like there's so much pressure to have that five-year vision. And I found that when you write your goal out, uh, you can start and start meditating and start visualizing and seeing what is possible for your life. You can develop a five-year goal. And then, of course, break it down and work backwards. I got that advice from, from another um, from another entrepreneur. She has a massive makeup, makeup company in Canada here. And she said, whatever your goal is, just make your goal for five, like whatever your five-year goal is and work backwards. But the problem is if you don't have that five-year goal, how do you work backwards? So I think that, um, you know, focusing on what you want and I'll tell you a funny story, Kate. So we were trying to conceive for years and I will tell you the only way that I conceived and like literally, cause we did it on our own and we had gone to so many fertility doctors was I started writing it down as a goal and I started reading and I had little stickies all over my house. I was trying to manifest this child and it worked like it actually worked. So, um, the power of manifestation is totally real. So. There you go. There you go. Um, So speaking about women showing up, I'm sure I've seen um, on your accounts as well, you mentioned how women that you work with are worried about how they're going to look, like literally Mm -hmm. look, if they're appearing on video or Mm -hmm. if they're asked to. And so I'm thinking now like women might be asked to present about something Mm -hmm. or, or even like just being in photos for things. 
don't you think this is such a female? Like, I don't think men would ever think, mm-hmm. well, my hair won't be done in time for that, or I better lose a few pounds before I do, you know, whereas I think women, it's such a pressure that we put on ourselves. I think it's a pressure we put on ourselves, but other people put that pressure on us as well. So yeah. there was this funny, like, I don't even know if that's the right word, but there was a situation in the States. They had two anchors. One was male, one was female. The female... um was criticized like pretty much every day on Twitter and, you know, people writing in and criticizing how she looked, what she wore, her weight, her makeup, everything, her hair. And the dude wore the same tie for like the same amount of time. I think it was like 60 days and he never got criticized once. So we grow up from the time we are like five or six, um, you know, it starts little with, with, uh, with the, um, and I'm really conscious about this too. It starts when you're little, when, you know, you see families like, oh, you're so pretty, or I love your dress. Whereas, you know, we're not focusing on girls intelligence or their smile or, you know, what they have to offer their creativity. So that kind of starts, I think when you're a child, it's embedded in you as you're a teenager. And then as you're going into your twenties, it's still kind of there. Everybody listening can think of a comment that somebody has made about themselves, like somebody else has made about them that has still stuck with them, right? So one of the things that sticks with me all the time is when I put on weight, it goes straight to my face. And several people have pointed this out. So imagine being on TV and having people point out your weight, not only on Twitter, but then also family and friends, and that sticks with you. So if you do not have uh, your identity and who you are and strong in what you believe in as a person and, and what you stand for, those things will creep in. Those things will definitely creep in and it can overtake your identity. So some of the common things that I hear, um, you know, this is going to be ha- this happens every day now. So I do. And this has happened before the pandemic. I, You know, somebody hops on a, a discovery call with me or they hop on a client call with me and I've always done things on Zoom. I should have bought stock. Clearly, I wasn't in on that before. But they apologize. That's one of the first things they apologize for showing up on camera the way they did. And even before I, you know, was chatting with you, I was like, oh, am I going to be on camera? You know, yeah. so it does even creep in. But I think we are in a society where we just, yes, definitely put a, a pressure on ourselves. But until everybody else stops judging us, like it's going to be there, right? It's going to be there until we are able to be strong and block out that noise again, right? Blocking out that noise. Yes. Uh, totally. I'm going to switch gears a little bit now and let's talk about. So the huge anti-racism movement that we saw online with Black Lives Matter during quarantine, there are so many thoughts out there, and I know you work with people in terms of their media, but even just in general, the best ways that non-BIPOC individuals can show their allyship and then kind of the difference between just being performative and actual genuine allyship. What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts there? Well, yeah, it was such a heavy time and it still is a heavy time. I think that from the BIPOC experience, what had happened was that all this stuff that we had been keeping in for our entire lives came to the surface. So there was a couple different camps. There was people who were non-BIPOC that were completely baffled and surprised that privilege existed. And then there were those that have always recognized that there was privilege in then they didn't really understand. Then they were trying to learn how to help, right? Like how to help. But I think that it's, uh, 
it's an interesting time for sure. And when everything, the chatter became very dominant on social media, one of the things that I said was you could post a black square, go ahead, post a black square, but what is it that you're doing down the road? Three months, six months, nine months, 12 months down the road. What is it that you're implementing inside your business and outside of the business? And a lot of people were concerned that they were going to show up as performative because they were sprinkling sprinkling guests or, you know, sprinkling posts or, you know, some social media content. But I think if you have other things happening inside your business, it's going to manifest on the outside, just like everything else. So I think that people also who identify as white don't realize how much power they have. And they have that power to be an ally, not only for BIPOC, but also with other individuals who identify as white. So an example could be, let's say you're at a corporate event and there's going to be a virtual panel of speakers. And I just saw one recently with a big bank and they were talking about funding for women entrepreneurs and everybody on the panel was white. And I said, oh, interesting. So nobody that was part of the organization of the panel, nobody who committed to being on the panel asked some very important questions. Uh, some of the questions that you could ask is, you know, who's going to be on this panel? What 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 views are going to be represented? Are is there going to be some sort of diversity on the panel? Is this something that has been um, implemented into your business strategy? I really think that those are the questions that a true ally is going to be asking instead of just saying yes to opportunities. If you're just saying yes to opportunities, it really just means that you haven't been looking out for other people around you, which is a part of what this movement is about. It's about not just, you know, feeding your own success, but feeding the success of those who are less fortunate to have that privilege. So really taking the stance to to be more thoughtful and to not be afraid to speak up and speak out. And the thing is, it's so funny because the, the, the feedback that I hear is that those who identify as white are scared and they're scared. But then I say, well, what about those black men and women who are scared for their lives if they just get pulled over by a cop? That mm-hmm. is real fear. That is real fear. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ways that I think people that are white can really step into true allyship, not when it's just trendy, but for the long term. So a couple of questions out of that. So one is when you're talking about, you know, if you see a panel or you're invited to be on a panel, is it enough to say, well, yes, I'd love to participate if we also can bring in another person to have another voice and, you know, you're kind of helping bring other people along Or is it necessary at this point for people to say, no, don't pick me. You should choose someone like, you know, Black, Indigenous, person of color. Well, I think it's going to be different, right? For every situation, depending on the relationship and the perspective and all the things that you bring. But sometimes you will have to say no if it is a complete, uh, if it's not a fit. Because at the end of the day, somebody who's BIPOC is scrolling and is just thinking exactly what I thought. Okay, it's another all-white panel. I'm not interested. I'm not even going to sign up for that event. The other part is it's actually not your responsibility as a guest on a panel to be sourcing out a person that is BIPOC. That is the, the, the job of the organizer. So I have definitely heard of, you know, let's say, for example, somebody gets invited to a panel and they 
place and they say exactly what you propose, mm-hmm. well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm definitely, you know, down to, to, to chat and contribute as long as you have somebody who's BIPOC. And then the organizer says, well, can you recommend anybody? No, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's the, it's the job of the organizer to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That's the job of the organizer, just how the organizer figured out how to use Facebook ads and how they figured out how to run their website. It's the exact same thing. We have to, um, you know, take, and I, you know, I fell into this as well because I didn't realize this was happening, but BIPOC are being asked to educate everybody mm-hmm. else for free. <laughs> That's right. not, that shouldn't be happening. That's not our job to, and the thing is it becomes awkward because like, you know, I had a conversation before this, this, uh, this topic became you know, hot topic. And somebody asked me, well, what's the problem with colonization? And I said, wow, I can't even like, I like, like, like if I have to defend that and educate that, and then my family's from South America. So we were taken over by British, um, from the British and my family, my, my, my great grandfather, you know, was captured on a slave ship somewhere in India and brought over as a slave. Like you can't ask that such loaded question and expect me to answer it. You can't hire a diversity and inclusion expert. That's what you should do. Right. So I know you um, work with businesses as well and have lots of suggestions for making marketing more inclusive and and their social media and all of that. So I don't run a business per se, but I mean, I do have a, you know, have social media accounts and that sort of thing. And I do things like, for example, if I read a book that I learned from on, you know, the Black Lives Matter topic or something like that, I'll share it and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, I'm not like a business where they need to make sure their stock images are inclusive and that sort of thing. I mean, my images are usually me and my family, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, is there anything, I mean, I guess there's the two angles. So just for individuals like myself who, you know, kind of micro influencers or whatever you want to call it, are there any ways that you think people like me can do better? But then there's also, how do you think businesses can do better in terms of proving that they're truly on board with allyship? I think one of the first things that all business should businesses should have done is made some sort of declaration either on their website or social media channels that they are working towards more inclusivity. We've seen this with some bigger brands. Uh, Indigo just has, you know, they are constantly updating their, their mandate and what they're moving towards. So that's first. The second part of that is it doesn't matter, um, you know, what type of social media account. And it's not just outward facing, right? Right? So what are you doing inside when nobody's watching? What types of conversations are you having with your kids? What type of books are you bringing into the house? Are they all white authors or are they, you know, a diversity of authors? Is it small businesses maybe that, you know, brand partnerships? Are you looking for businesses that are diverse or the same old, same old? Like from the from from the perspective of somebody who's been griping about this privately for so long, you see the same brands, you see the same people, you see the same products over and over and over on social media on all these different channels. So I think it's a matter of sitting back and saying, okay, what can I do privately? Um, it doesn't necessarily always have to be outward facing, but it could be maybe when the, maybe it could be like the types of movies that you watch with your kids and the conversations that you have. Paw Patrol, you may have heard, was in the news several times. And one of the conversations was about 
Mayor, is it Mayor Goodway? I try to tune out these kids' programs, but she's a woman of color. And it's, you know, it looks like it's a great, a great characterization of, you know, having a female in that role. And she's a woman of color and she's running the town. But why is she always scattered? Why is she always flustered? Why is she always getting like really upset and frantic for really silly things? So even having that conversation, you know, those private conversations in your home, with your community, with your friends, but then also looking at, where you put your money. So where are you putting your money for purchases um, of, of books, of products for your home, of vacations or anything? There's so many opportunities where you can kind of, and you're not going to get it perfect. You're not going to get it perfect the first time. That perfection is not the goal. It's to start moving towards something and being conscious that you can change. You're not going to do it perfectly every time, but I think just having the awareness and having the awareness and having it live with you until you're 50, 60, 70, Mm -hmm. and not just, it's not just a trend to be inclusive. Such amazing insights. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet in this conversation (laughs) that you want to mention or that we should delve into? Man, we've, we've, we've gone through it all. All right. I think, I think, yeah, I I would just say like the mindset piece, right? We are living in a pandemic right now. We don't know how long it's going to last. And just the gratitude and being mindful of what we do, how we support one another is really important. I think it's going to take us through to the end so we can all, you know, go back to a bit of a normal life. The last thing I want to ask you is, do you have a This Mom Loves or some sort of favorite thing that you could share with our listeners? Mm-hmm. I use every day the Calm app. So, you know, I've been talking about meditation through this whole conversation, but I invested in the paid version of the Calm app. I use, I've been using the Calm actually, actually since I was trying to conceive um, in 2013. And I took a break from it, but recently, probably about a year and a half, I invested in it. And what it's really good at, it has a million different meditations. It has sleep stories, and then it has master classes. It has celebrity guests, and they all, they too, are moving towards being more inclusive. They can do a better job with their images, but the guests that they have on, they have definitely been more inclusive. So I definitely, I uh, would say, it's one of my best purchases this year. Awesome. So I will have links for where you can all find Jennifer Singh and everything to do with She's Newsworthy Media in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Moving on to the lifestyle segment, I thought it would be a better fit after the interview than before with the news that I have to share. But I do want to let listeners know that I will be going on a little hiatus from the podcast because um, this past week I was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, found a tumor. It's very small. We don't think that it has spread, but of course we won't know more until um, until the surgeon goes in and, and maybe more testing. But I am meeting with my surgeon actually on the day that this podcast comes out, so I will have more information to share. And I do plan to write up a blog post um, sometime this week with, you know, just information. I'm getting a lot of great questions about how the how the lump was found and next steps and all that sort of thing. And I do want some more information from my surgeon first before I can kind of put together the facts. Um, I was told to expect surgery within a couple of weeks of meeting the surgeon. 
and uh, and we will go from there. I'm not sure if I'll require any treatment after that or not. Again, it'll be sort of a wait and see, but I definitely do want to use my platform to inform people about all of these sorts of things. And I will be doing a blog post that you can look for on thismumloves.ca. It won't be there the day this podcast episode comes out, but hopefully within a few days when I wrap my mind around everything. And, and not only do I want to be able to help other people, but it always does make me feel better to write things down. And of course, that will also depend on... Uh, you know, how I'm feeling mentally and everything. Sometimes you're just not in a place to want to dwell on it. I know um, as I record this, I've only had the information for a couple of days because it seems like best case scenario, because it seems very hopeful. I'm staying kind of positive, you know, as much as I can. Um, I've been, I went back to work the next day. So teaching kindergarten and, and just keeping busy until I find out more about my surgery and the kindergarten kids definitely help keep my mind off things, which is good. The hardest has been uh, the couple of nights sleep that I've, I've tried to get since, um, since getting the news because uh, you can be really positive in the daytime, but you know, as with anything, the middle of the night is, is kind of hard with all those thoughts going through your mind. But I can tell you, I mean, I shared first with, you know, immediate family and close friends and shared with my staff and, you know, and then kind of the wider, wider, um, messages getting out there and already just overwhelmed by the love and support that I have. I mean, between family and friends and workplace and, you know, all those lines kind of blur so many different, different types of family. And I'm so, so lucky to have the support systems that I do. So I'm already off to a huge advantage there and um, definitely hoping for the best. I would love to be kept in your prayers or your thoughts or however you, uh, however you send your intentions, I would appreciate it. So keep an eye on um, the website, thismomloves.ca and my social media accounts. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves and on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. And I will be sharing as I, you know, feel comfortable and able to do so. Again, if you want any information from this episode, you can find it at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts. And this was episode 58. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to my wonderful sound editor, Lucas Sound. And I know until the next time, I will certainly be trying to take care of myself. So please do the same and take care.